0: Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new mainstream podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco and co-founder of Think Now. I'm just excited to introduce our guest today, Lila Rayner, CEO of Logica Research. Welcome, Lila.
1: Thanks so much, Mario. It's great to be here
0: yeah excited to to speak to you and talk more about your work but before we jump in um i always like asking people how they got into market research i feel like very rarely do we choose to get into market research and um and you're a founder so would love to hear more about your journey into market research and how you came to to found logica research
1: Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. And I've had an opportunity to listen to a number of the podcasts and you've had such super interesting people who are creating a lot of change in the industry and for their organization. So it's an honor to be here. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I kind of fell into marketing research. It's not something they talk to you about really in high school or college. So I thought I wanted to be an academic and went into psychology and then really was interested in studying human behavior and decision-making and uh, got an advanced degree in psychology, but didn't want to be an academic, didn't want to go work for a university, but really wanted to apply that in the real world. And of course, then marketing research was a natural fit. It's been a really wonderful journey. I've been fortunate to have a great community and network of people who have been Clients and mentors and team members and partners and supporters along the way.
0: Very cool. Um, and so like did out of college, what was was your first job kind of in in, in research or where where were you where were you headed prior to to the marketing research side of things?
1: Yeah, my my first job was in research and I can um, traveled all over the United States conducting interviews in the real estate industry, the commercial real estate industry. And then I was lucky enough to get recruited by Charles Schwab and had a great career there, managed the marketing research department there before I went out on my own and started Logica Research about 18 years ago.
0: Yeah. And that's that's an incredible run. I mean, I think a very less than like 5% of businesses make it past the 10 year mark so um so congrats on that accomplishment what what made you want to branch out on your own like what was that what was that turning point for you to want to launch your own business
1: yeah it was a couple of factors and one is i really enjoyed working at charles schwab they're a great company i also did really like financial services. It's a super dynamic, interesting space. And I think it's even become more so over the years. If you invest at all, you probably can see that as well. Um, And I wanted to be able to kind of bring the best of of what I had experienced with working with research partners and bring sort of a high level of service that I had experienced and expertise in financial services to our clients. And originally, you know, we took that consultative approach and worked with companies in a lot of different industries. And then over the years became more and more focused on financial services. Although we take a very expansive view uh, toward financial services in terms of, Either working with related industries, arguably, and someone once said this to me, that every company is a financial services company in some way because you're processing payments at a minimum. So uh, we work with a lot of different companies, but mostly
0: in financial services. So, I mean, it it it's hard starting any company. I think even, you know, marketing research, even harder, I would say, um, just because there's so many companies and and it's such to your point. It's such an expansive field. Like, what is your key differentiating factor at Logical Research? Is it that focus on financial services, or do you have like a, a particular spin or methodology? Like, why why do your clients come back to you?
1: It really is a lot about our expertise in financial services. And that was a natural fit given my background at Charles Schwab. And then we've also hired and have team members who've had experience in financial services or have, you know, behavioral finance or economics background. And we do take that consultative approach so that expertise and experience really serves our clients well when we're designing research studies and and analyzing and understanding the results we also do a range of research methodologies. I would say that we're agnostic in wanting just to bring the best of. We do qualitative and quantitative research. We do advanced analytics, but it really comes down to uh, like the sign behind me, asking uh, questions are the answers and asking you know a lot of questions to understand objectives and who we really want to talk to. I think in financial services, You know, there are a lot of different subsectors within that industry. The industry is very big. And so really understanding the people you need to hear from to answer the questions and then, of course, asking the right questions to get those answers.
0: Yeah. And you do um, a lot of thought leadership. I I looked at your study, the future of money study Um, for listeners that are maybe not familiar. Can you tell us? a little bit about the study, like, you know, why, why you start, why you started doing it and um, maybe share some, some interesting insights. You mentioned the industry's changing. Would love to hear a little bit from an insider, right? Like what's, what's going on in the financial industry?
1: Yeah, the industry has changed a lot, is still changing. It's one of the things that we as a team really like about it it's very dynamic it's intellectually challenging you get to work on a lot of different topics and they're complicated it's a complex industry so we have focus there and like i said we do take an expansive view i think about what i call the life cycle of the dollar and both from a consumer and business perspective, but thinking about you know how people make money. So work and before work, you have education. So we do work in education as well, or things around the future of work. Are people switching jobs? Why are they switching jobs right now? What kind of help do they want from their employer? Um and then how people spend money. So that's a lot about payments, not really so much from a, from the work that we do about what they're spending on as much as how they're spending that money and the ways that they pay, and then saving and investing, which could be financial planning and financial wellness, financial inclusion and security to investing and all the fun aspects of that. And we launched the Future of Money study in 2017, and it, we do it twice a year. We actually did it more during 2020, during that first year of COVID, to really understand what was going on in the market. And there were a lot of changes then, of course. And then we're seeing a lot of changes coming out of COVID. And last year, we launched this study as a syndicated product, but you'll absolutely see you know some content released. And of course, we've seen this huge transition. So during COVID, people were, you know, not spending too much they were really trying to go from a place where they were probably spending too much money or maybe overspending to not having the income coming in and uh, reducing their amount of spend at the same time we saw all these people start investing for the first time including really young people you know teenagers in high school and people investing in crypto they had all this time on their hands and, you know, everybody was sort of giving each other recommendations and and following recommendations on what to invest in. And now we're seeing that kind of come back around of people are being more cautious about their money. And uh, what's really interesting and one of the things that we've really enjoyed looking at in our future of money study and really, you know, are becoming more experts in is Gen Z, and that's that youngest generation. Now we survey and include in our study 16 and up Gen Z years, so now 16 to 25. But when we first started this study over five years ago, they were you know just finishing high school. Now they're maybe in college, they're coming out of college, they're starting their first job. And I'm also the proud parent of a couple general Zers, so I'm a little biased, but this is a really great, incredible generation. And especially when it comes to their money, what we're seeing is that they're, I really call them scrappy and resourceful. They are much more likely to be thinking about planning and saving for now, as well as the long-term versus millennials who tend to be kind of more... Um, likely to experiment with different kinds of investing. Millennials have been more likely to be a little bit on their back heel in terms of catching up financially, but Gen Z is really trying to get in front of that. They're using a lot of different resources to understand how to manage their money. They're likely to get advice from family and friends more than traditional financial institutions and advisors. And so, They're the generation that's going to be really driving change in the financial industry as well. And we know that they're digital natives, and so that's kind of understood. But they also might surprise us in that they are taking information and advice from a lot of different sources, but they want help um, from traditional institutions and professionals as well.
0: That's so interesting, and um, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't didn't pick up. I, d- I didn't see any data on that. Um, so, w- is it safe to say like Gen Z is more financially savvy than millennials from your, like from what you see <laughs> in the research, or is that too controversial?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to offend millennials as a generation. And these are broad, you know, broad strokes in terms of um, cl- conclusions that we're talking about right now. But uh, I would like to talk about millennials for a moment. You know, as a generation, they they have really struggled to kind of catch up to where they're supposed to be at each life stage because of coming out of college with a lot of debt, um, then being hit with um, kind of financial crisis after financial crisis and COVID. And so at a point, you know, the older millennials are in their late 30s, early 40s, where they're Uh, might be in other generations, you know, buying houses, having kids, thinking about college savings, thinking about retirement savings, they're constantly a little bit behind. Um, But they also are, you know, experimental. They were very bullish during the bull market and most likely to invest in crypto. And then they're also pulling back and kind of reactionary. They, I think, have struggled to try to plan ahead because they never can seem to kind of catch up, whereas it looks to me like, you know, call them their younger brothers and sisters or siblings in Gen Z have kind of learned from watching them and seeing what's happened, and also because of COVID and having time to to invest for the first time when the risks, you know, the stakes were kind of low. and plan ahead and see what happens when you can't spend any money, you can save money and actually experiencing that, that they're more mindful and and thoughtful about their money, but they've had a chance to be as well.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, it almost sounds like, um, I guess, I don't know if I'm positioning this correctly, but like Gen Z's kind of been used to this financial uncertainty. That's just what how they came up, whereas millennials, there was some economic prosperity that they saw, and then but they were kind of blindsided by it and thus always a step behind. Is that a correct yeah. kind of broad generalization?
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think Gen Z, it's almost like a little bit more like my grandparents' generation or the Depression-era generation where it's like, you know, a penny-saved kind of mm-hmm. mindset and, you know, thinking about tomorrow or like my grandparents who's, who saved every plastic bag and plastic container and things like that, um, that they're they got to see what happened when you could save money and you um you weren't spending it and that experience i think made a bit has made a big difference and they're also you know much more cautious about taking out loans for college and some of the things that hit millennials hard
0: that's interesting um and and i'm curious you know given you know we tip, we talk about multicultural in the US like are there any nuances there generationally about um you know different different segments within Gen Z? I mean I know Gen Z is the most diverse generation in history. Do we see any differences between Hispanic, Black, Asian Gen Z versus millennials? I'm I'm curious if your data has anything on on that. Yeah, we we do and
1: actually you just pointed out, you know the the, the big part, which is that Gen Z is the most diverse generation in history, and um, we are starting to look at those race and ethnicity differences. But one of the things that we see over and over again is, uh, you know, a lot of the differences are tied to financial differences and financial security as much or more than they are to race and ethnicity. And Mm -hmm. um, we do see that uh, Black and African-American in our study are looking for more help across the board in a lot of ways. And a lot of that is tied to lower income, lower assets in general. Um, but as this generation grows and we, you know, we're able to look at more of those differences and, and tease apart what's financial versus other cultural differences, we're we going to do that. But a lot of it is driven by a lot of the financial kind of security fundamentals.
0: Do, do you see, you know, there are a couple of, not a couple, I mean, there's a lot of companies, both large financial kind of traditional institutions like, your Bank of America's, your Wells Fargo's, your Chase, having um, programs to address some of these financial differences that we see among race and and ethnic um, lines. But then there's also, I feel like a a whole new wave of fintech companies addressing this, right? Like um, culturally relevant, financial content for Latinos, for 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 um, black consumers. I mean, do you do you see an opportunity there? And 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 I don't know, I I mean I through any of your work, are there any um I don't know, anything interesting to kind of address some of these 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 gaps, these barriers that we see from a race and ethnicity perspective? Yeah, I mean absolutely
1: I think um technology has really allowed Companies to serve a lot more people than historically, and and you know, banks and financial institutions cannot uh, target certain programs based on race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. But, But there can be a lot more content that's relevant, and there are also, I think, just generally there are more tools. I mean, one thing we see with with the younger generation, is that they are looking to family and friends for advice and recommendations, and and people are are getting information from a lot of different sources. And so, I think that alone is really going to help. But there, but there are companies that are absolutely you know trying to help people improve their credit scores um, by very specific programs of. Um, you know, have tracking rent payments and things like that, mm-hmm. and those those programs I think will really help. But there's a lot more that that could be done
0: as well. Yeah, I'm, and so so I guess the big question I'd be like, as a business owner, I'm curious, and I think lots of other people are curious. Like, how's the economy doing? Like, I I, I feel I I see so many. I don't know, so many different opinions on that, right? That like inflation is slowing, we're out of a recession, we're in a recession, consumer spending high. Um, But I don't know, like, is is there anything from your data that you're seeing, like how the economy is doing and, and how Americans are feeling about the second half of the year? Yeah, great question.
1: And like all the signals that you just mentioned, it's mixed. The you know, the economic sort of variables that we're witnessing right now are are mixed. Uh, we have low unemployment, but we have high inflation. We're seeing signaling that inflation might be, you know, um, setting a bit. But what we're seeing in our future money study is that, well, generally people are often very optimistic. <laughs> so um, it, they are trying to save more. They're trying to take on less debt as a way to manage through market volatility and kind of uncertain economic times. And then we're also seeing that, you know, what a switch in terms of where last year there was a very high percentage of people, especially young people who are switching jobs that's really come down and kind of stabilized. And we're seeing that in other, you know, media signaling as well. Um, but people are generally optimistic that they're going to be able to save. They're not going to take on as much debt, and they're pulling back from investing. Like I mentioned, younger generations are a little bit more reactionary, so they were very quick to invest and invest in crypto during the bull market, and they're pretty quick to pull back as well. And that's how they're managing. Um, but people are, you know, cautious right now as
0: well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. That's kind of the vibe. and it, I feel like coming out of the pandemic, it's just been this um stop and go, you know, it's like it moves forward, then people are 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 cautious. So um, I don't know. there's it, maybe maybe the is just fundamentally changed and it's 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 never going to be the same. but but I feel like we we always say that when we have these kind of paradigm shifting events, right? like the pandemic. And then, I mean, we haven't even talked about like AI. That's just such a big um big thing happening i mean have you yeah i I guess um have your clients started to explore ai from a financial perspective is that something on your radar that that you're seeing more financial institutions get interested in or have they been using it already prior to this this big hype cycle
1: yeah, well, a couple of things. I mean, one thing I want to mention, just going back to the economy, is what we are seeing is that people across generations, but especially younger generations, do want more help and advice right now because of market volatility. So again, I said they're kind of changing their their behaviors, or are optimistic that they can change their behavior, but they want more help. You know, planning for retirement, thinking about what kind of insurance they need savings plans, financial plans, um, and so on. But when it comes to AI, yes, we're absolutely seeing in the financial industry a number of financial institutions are, you know, investing in AI – it also has been going on, you know, a lot of companies are using AI for customer service and experience. And it does seem based on, you know, conferences that I've been to that that's where some of the initial investing is going to go is to improve that. There also has been, you know, automation and some use of AI and financial advice for a while, but we're seeing that continue. And one of the things that we asked about in our latest round of our future money study is the use of chat, GBT, and AI on the consumer side. And at the time, we had you know, relatively low usage. We fielded the study in April, but um, I expect that to be a lot different in future waves. But we have two-thirds of Gen Zers and millennials who are open to using AI-based tools for help managing their money. So I think we're going to see kind of a groundswell and more investment that direction as well. But at the same time, people want to be able to talk to a person when they need to talk to a person, and that doesn't feel like that's going to change.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about that aspect, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to play with chat GPT now, but like, it's kind of like a financial advisor without having to pay for a financial advisor, in a sense, right? But but to your point, um, I also find it interesting, like, it sounds like Gen Z wants to talk to people. I think we have this perception that the younger generation is just gets all their info from social media and is totally cool with Chat GPT, but it sounds like when it comes to financial topics, they they want to talk to a family and friends.
1: Yeah, they want to talk to well, they're gonna especially Gen Z, they're gonna talk to everybody. I think mm. the opportunity for Gen Z is having I don't know if it's a single source of truth, but having a channel, a way that consolidates this information, and it does seem like ChatGPT or some version of that is going to be helpful, but right now it's very sort of large language-based, right? It doesn't do as good of a job with numbers, but we did some qualitative interviews and talked to um, Zillennials, um, to throw in another term, so older Gen Zers, younger Millennials, and they want to be able to go in and say, I'm 27 years old. I want to retire at this age. I make this much money. i probably going to have kids in you know, 10 years. I'm going to buy a house in five years. How much do I need to save? What kind of insurance should I have? If you go in and do that in, in one of these tools today, and I've tried it, you get just bulleted points that address different aspects, like you need 20% down payment on a mortgage, that kind of thing, but nothing that's integrated. So we're a ways away from that, but that's what the expectation is that the technology should be able to
0: do for them. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, this is great. I can ask you so many financial questions and it's, 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 uh, it's an interesting time right now in our economy. Um, but believe it or not, we're almost at, at the end of our time. And I, I wanted to end on on a question. You know, we have a lot of researchers that listen to our podcast. And I feel like uh, financial questions, like you mentioned, right, we all are kind of financial t- institutions and in that we take payments. But from a market research perspective, we're always asking questions about money and a basic level income, like what what as an expert in in, in financial research, like. How should we think about asking financial questions and financial related topics because it's such a sensitive topic. it's 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 um it's hard for people, I would say, to talk about money. And so, as a market research and given your experience, like what's some advice that we give to other researchers that have to craft questions asking about potentially sensitive financial issues? Yeah, that's a really good
1: question. and it's one that we've always been careful about. So, you know, when you're doing qualitative research, a lot of times you want to do one-on-ones and not group conversations because the money topic is sensitive and you have people from different financial situations. You know, whether it's in a real room or an online room, it's hard for them to talk about. Uh, you also want to potentially ask other questions to get at financial Um, situation without necessarily asking income and assets. And I say assets, like how much money do you have saved or investable assets? Because that is a key question that comes up. In surveys, um, you know, you typically have to ask those and it's not as much of a big deal, especially if it's panel sample and not customer sample. But again, I kind of come back to really knowing your audience and who is it that you need to speak to and like any other kind of profiling or demographic questions, being sensitive to uh, asking the question you really need to ask um, to get the information to understand someone versus maybe standard demo questions. And and that's going to help you really hone in on the objectives and getting those objectives right as well.
0: Um, If you had to choose one uh, format, quant or qual, what what would you choose? What do you think is the best to answer financial related questions?
1: Oh, well, I'm saying this not just to punt on this question, but really, I think you need to do both. Uh, And you don't always need to do both, but a lot of times you need to do both and one thing that we're finding coming out of covid um, certainly during covid but coming out of covid is we're doing a lot more qualitative research Mm -hmm. because a lot of these questions and sort of assumptions that we have about people need to be revisited you need to understand them And, and coming back to the multicultural lens you want to have a diverse group of people that you're talking to and that's actually one of the things that's really opened up and being able to do online research especially qualitative is we're able to talk to a lot more diverse people and really understanding a lot more situations that people are in and the decisions that they're making across the United States or in different countries and qualitative to help understand those and question our assumptions that we had before is, has been really critical. But of course, a lot of times you need to validate that with quantitative.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah. I, I love seeing that there's this resurgence of qual, um, because everything has changed so much consumer spending habits. I mean, um, everything, how we live our lives and, and, um, yeah, companies have these trackers that they've been doing for years, but it's like it's it's what's the use of that if you're not understanding why these behaviors are changing so rapidly? And like qual is really the only way to to get at that. So um I appreciate that perspective. Um, but it's been great having you on, Lila. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. I learned a lot. If people want to learn more about Logical Research, you, read some of the content, could you share the best way to, to stay in touch and learn more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a pleasure talking to you too. I, I could talk about this all day as well. Yes, uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn or you can reach out to engage at com.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Lila, And thank you everybody for listening.
1: Thanks so much, Mario.
0: Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.